preachers preaching this week. Found them on the internet and a couple of places I knew. I didn't know the preachers, I just knew the place, so I was listening to them. And uh, I learned some things because I watched them on video. Almost all of them stand right in the pulpit the whole time. Right here, just right here. I thought, I need to try to do that. I need to discipline myself a little bit and try to make it a whole lot better for the cameras. We're getting ready to, really getting ready to go to full-fledged video now, you know, so we can put it on the Internet and put it on YouTube and all those places like that. And so I was trying to learn how to do that. But we'll see this morning how well I've learned. I'm not sure. I'm not making any promises. But uh, it's fun to watch other people preach. To me. And I mean, when I say fun, I should say it's enjoyable most of the time to watch other people preach and hear them preach. Because it helps me and it blesses me. And, and I, I, I used to practice reading at least one sermon a week and watching one sermon a week. I don't always get to that these days. My life has become busy. The more of you that there are, the busier my life has become. And I say that with thanksgiving. So I don't get to do quite as much of it as I one time did, but I kind of renewed that this week. And, and uh, one, guy, one guy was even giving a history lesson, and I listened to half of it. I didn't get to finish. I've got it on hold so I can go back. But I thought it was really very good. I usually, when somebody does, it's not just actually preaching the word, I just pass on by it and go on. But this was about a great, great revival that I know about, know a lot about, reading about it myself in the past, even to give me some insights in that great revival that I did not know and maybe some that I didn't remember. So that was good. So now I'm going to preach to you this morning. I've been all fired up by somebody preaching me this week. I'm going to preach to you this morning. My message to you today is entitled Promises. Promises. You know what promises are. A promise is a declaration or assurance that one will do a particular thing or will cause a certain thing to happen. I make you a promise, and you expect what I promise you to happen. And everybody ought to make promises with consideration and care and deliberately, knowing that what you're saying is expected to be done. I think there are a lot of people who just say things that they're going to do and don't really have any intention of doing unless it just works out right for them anyway. But you can't make promises like that. Because people expect your word to be true. They expect my word to be true. When you make a promise, you're expected to keep it. You stood up at the altar and you talked to that woman or that man that you married. You made some promises. It was not only will you have this woman or will you have this man. It was also, I promise to love, cherish, honor. We used to say obey. I haven't said that in a long time at a wedding ceremony. <laughs> but it's a promise. I promise. You've got promises to keep. I've got promises to keep. I've always treasured a part of my character as being one who's dedicated to keeping his word. I, 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 have, I have had to fail to keep a few promises in my life. Because sometimes circumstances change. You can't do something that you said you were going to do because it becomes impossible to do it. 
Maybe it involves being in another part of the world when first you made the promise to be in another part of the world. Maybe it involves things that happened and circumstances that changed totally different from the way you made the promise and you couldn't keep that promise. But as long as it's in the realm of your possible possibility for you to keep your word, you should do what you say you will do. And what you have said you would do is what you should do. And I'll tell you even more importantly, when you make a promise to God, you need to make that promise with deliberation, with caution and care, with knowledge, as far as you can know what the cost of keeping that promise is going to be. Because when you make a promise to God, He expects you to keep that promise. And you're obligated to do that. Now, you may have made some promises to God in the past that, that you didn't keep. In fact, I know you have, because I did. And I know a lot of you have made foxhole promises. You know, God, if you'll save, if you'll, if you'll let so-and-so live, I'll serve you the rest of my life. And so-and-so lived, and you never served God a day of your life. You broke promises to God. But do you know any promise you ever broke that you made to God was forgiven when you were, come, were brought into Christ in salvation. Because everything in your past was forgiven. God forgot that, overlooked it, forgave it. This is a part of the past. That's never to come up again. The devil ever tries to tempt you with some promise you made that you didn't keep to God if it was before you were saved? It's covered already. If you did something like that after you're saved, then repent. That's what 1 John is about. That's the sin 1 John talks about. Something that you do after you're saved. Maybe it was before you had knowledge and left to make the right promise. Or perhaps you just didn't have the strength and the will to do it. But God makes a provision for that. If we do all that we know to do, walk completely in all the light that we have and the understanding that's given us by the Holy Spirit, up to that point we may have greater understanding, greater knowledge, greater revelation in the future. But we didn't know that much. I know a lot more. I'm a lot more responsible to God right now than I was the first year or two or five or six years I was saved. Why? Because I have much more knowledge now. I have much more spiritual understanding now. God expects more of me. Too much is given of him, much is required. That's the same thing for you. If you've grown in the Lord, he expects more of you. Don't let that keep you from growing. It's a great blessing that God has enough concern and care and confidence in you that he'll trust you to do what you promise him you'll do. If there's something that you've promised that you haven't done and it cannot be done now because the time has passed, go to God and ask him to forgive you because he'll forgive you for that just like he forgives anything else. That doesn't mean we ought to be careless with keeping the promises that we made to God. Not by any means. When I came here to this church, I promised, I didn't promise very many people, but there wasn't very many people to make a promise to, but I did promise, and I promised it to God. I said, God, with your help, and I told this to the early congregation, with your help, I will never go into this pulpit to preach without feeling and knowing that I have the anointing of the Holy Spirit for that message. I've tried to practice that. I reminded the Lord of that just yesterday and last night, this morning. That was a promise that I made. I've sought God, and I've asked Him to give me the message for this day. I didn't get it off the Internet. I didn't go find it from somebody else's notes or outlines. I just got it because I prayed and let God put something in my spirit that I would bring to you today. So I believe this is the message of God for today. 
and then he's going to give me the anointing to declare it to you in a way that you can receive it and be benefited by it and blessed because of the anointing of the Holy Spirit that comes through me and you and reveals the Word of God and the truth of God's message in your life. So we make promises, and God makes promises to us. <laughs> Other people make promises to us too. Don't you really hate it? I almost, I almost lost it. Don't you really hate it when somebody makes you a promise and then they don't even try to keep it? I do. I do. But, you know, sometimes that happens. And we cannot let that be a stumbling block for us. Because there's one who teaches us the right way to handle promises. The Bible says, and I'll show it to you, the Bible says God never breaks a promise. If he says it, it may not have happened yet, but if he has said it, it is just as certain to happen as if it has already been done. Because God never fails to keep his word. Look at Psalm 89, 34. One of my favorite passages in all the Bible. One verse. This is what that verse says. The Lord is saying this to you and me. And to everyone. I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that has gone forth from my lips. If I have made a covenant and agreement with you, God says, I will keep that covenant. Of course, he wants us to keep our part of it as well. That's a two-way thing. But he said he will never break any agreement that he's made with us. He's made an agreement with us. It's sure and certain. It's as absolutely certain that you will go to heaven if you put your faith in Jesus Christ as it is that he died on the cross and he rose from the grave. If you continue to live for God after you come to him for salvation, you have a certain guaranteed warranty deed to a home in heaven. Just as certain as this earth that's between your feet right now is assurance and the certainty and the guarantee of heaven. Because God said it. God proclaimed it. And it is true and he will never change it. The covenant I made with you, he said, I will not violate. Luke 137 says, no word spoken by God will ever fail. No word that God has ever spoken will ever fail. That's God's guarantee. All the way back in the Old Testament, Numbers chapter 23, verse 19. That passage and so many of us just quote partially when we say God is not a man that he should lie. That whole thing is God is not a man, so he does not lie. He is not human, so he does not change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever spoken and failed to ask what the Scripture asks? It's a rhetorical question. No! He's always acted on what he said he would do. Has he ever promised and not carried it through? No! It's rhetorical. We don't even have to say no because we know the answer before the words are finished. No! He's never promised and not finished the promise by carrying it through to fulfillment. Those things he has not done yet, we can be certain that he will do. Because his word says it, and not only because his word says it, because everything else about him guarantees us that it is God's character, God's nature, totally God to always keep his word and stand up for every promise that he has made. Praise God for that. So if you're being told anything else, 
how do you know you're saved? Kind of person that you're, how do you know you're saved? How, this is what you hear. You hear it inside, in the little recesses of your mind. In those times when you're struggling with something, you're really battling something, that, and, the, and the trial gets a little bit harder, and the enemy comes and speaks a little bit louder. You're not even saved. You know, how do you know you're saved? Look at what you've done. Look at how you've lived. But remember that time when you came and said, Jesus, forgive me if I sin, save me. I want to be a child of God. And the Bible says when you do that, He accepts it. He receives you. It isn't my feeling and how you stand all the time and, and what you do all the time. I'm not saying you don't have to live consistently. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that there are times when we stumble. There are times when we fall. There are times we have difficulty. But when we do, that doesn't mean that God takes away our salvation. We've got to continue to trust Him and believe in the word that Jesus said. He that cometh to me, I will never cast out, is the word of Jesus Christ to us. And I believe what He said. But a lot of times He's going to throw me away. And the devil told me He was going to do it. But He never did. And you've had the same thing. You always will have that. If you're hearing the evil proposals of the devil telling you that what God has told you is not true, in any fashion or form that you hear it, whether somebody standing up in a pulpit and preaching it to you, or whether somebody on some celebrity gossip show is saying something stupid about God, and they do things say a lot of things stupid about Him, People think that our Vice President Mike Pence is kind of weird. The only thing weird about him in their viewpoint is he's a total believer in Jesus Christ as his Savior. That makes him weird to a lot of people. That's all right. He's not weird to God. Neither are you. It doesn't matter what the world says about you because they're speaking the words of the enemy of your life. It doesn't matter what the devil proclaims and however he says it to you. What you know is true is what God says. What God says about you is what's true. Not what the devil says, no matter how he speaks it to you. It's never true. When, the, that when any word comes to you that is contrary to the word of God and the promises of God. It's never true. What's always true is what God said, what God says about you. I'm going to put in one little plug right here. Because I'm thinking about it right now. I preached here... Within the last few weeks, the first sermon I preached was, Do You Know Who You Are? And a lot of people listened to that on our website. And then I, next time I preached, I didn't plan this as a trilogy, as a three-part series. I didn't plan it at all from beginning to end. It just came out this way. The next time I preached, similar to that, it was, I Know Who I Am. That's also on the website. It's been listened to a lot of times. And then the third one, and I announced this third one, I said I'm going to preach, we'll kind of tie those other two messages together. I preached a message on say what God says. And that's on the website. And looking over it, because we had a little difficulty this past week with a sermon on the website, and I was looking over it, I noticed those times it would have been listened to. And I saw that say what God said had been listened to fewer times than the other two. Both of the other two were way ahead of the number of times they'd been listened to way ahead of say what God says. And I thought, well, I'd better remind folks about that because if you want to get the real fullness of the first two, you need to hear the third one. And if you didn't hear them in church, and even if you did, go back and listen to it again. Say what God says is simply 
declaring to you that you need to say what God says about you, about your circumstances, about your life, about everything, about the world plan, about everything. What you need to say is what God says about it. Don't quote devil. Don't quote the world. If you're going to say anything about anything, say what God says about it. So, if you haven't listened, that, you're welcome to listen to all three of them if you haven't, but be sure to go get that last one on say what God said. I'm kind of preaching a little bit of that today, not entirely, but just a little bit on that. So now, if the devil is telling you something, and he is talking to you, there are times that you have these, and he, he, he invades you with the things that he wants you to say, and even before you say it, you know you, should not, you shouldn't be saying them. He invades you with things he wants you to think. He castigates you about the value of your life and your worth, especially as it relates to your service with God. But this is the thing you need to remember about him. Nothing he says is true. Nothing. Nothing! If he comes in and says you're a good person, don't believe it. Believe you're good because God says you are. He might be trying to trick you to tell you something wrong the next time. I'm just being a little bit facetious here. But don't believe anything he says. He can't trust anything the devil says. And remember, he doesn't just speak through people you know, although he does. Jesus had to say to Peter when he made a wrong statement. He rebuked him for saying that he was going to suffer and die at the hands of evil men. And Peter rebuked him, and Jesus said, Get thee behind me, Satan. You say the things to be of men and not the things to be of God. So you may hear a word from Satan from anywhere. I'm not saying walk around every time you're talking to somebody, be on guard that the devil may be talking to you through them. I'm not trying to promote that. I'm just telling you that you need to be cautious about things that you hear in your spirit and believe. Because you may hear the wrong thing, and if you do, you could be led to believe the wrong thing. And what you want to know is what God says about anything and say what God says in your heart and by your faith. Proclaim that what God says is true. You can't trust the devil for anything. Anything! You may, you, you may read, see some advertising on TV. And you know it's too good to be true. I'm not saying the devil's putting that up there now. But I'm saying you need to be discerning about things that you... See, when I have something in my pocket that I forgot to take out, I tend to put my hand in my pocket and jingle it. Got to enter my pocket. I was empty before I preached it. I must have forgotten it today. Okay. So, well, so it may be that just because you're seeing something that TV says is true, it may not be true. Ask Carolyn how many things she ordered that weren't what they said they were. Or me. Or me. Or us. We've all had that experience, haven't we? So here's what the enemy wants us to believe. He wants to believe what he he wants us to believe the negative things that he says. He wants us to believe the things that challenge our experience with God and our walk with God and our relationship with God. He wants us to believe those things. But he's a liar. He, Jesus, what Jesus said about him in John 8, 44, he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. Jesus named him clearly. He said, when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So when Jesus was in the mountain of temptation and Satan came to him with all of these things, these offers he made to him, 
Jesus didn't believe any of it. He refuted it with the word of God. But he didn't believe it from the beginning. He didn't believe that he was going to take him up on a, a pinnacle and show him all the world and give him all the glory of this world, that promise. He didn't believe the promises of the devil. He didn't believe that he ought to prove, take up a stone and turn it into bread, prove that he's the son of God. He knew that that was fallacious, unscriptural, and apart from the nature of God and, we, and would be uncharacteristic of him, the way he should act as the son of God. He knew that because he knew the devil from the beginning. Jesus wasn't first born in Bethlehem. He was born as a human being there. But Jesus was around a long time ago when Lucifer fell. He knew him from the beginning. That's why he could state the truth about him. He's a liar from the beginning. He's never told the truth. When he speaks, he lies, and he's speaking in his native language because he is a liar and the father of lies. Understand the difference between the truth that the Holy Spirit speaks to you and the lies the devil wants to tell you and believe what God says. One way to affirm your belief in what God says is to keep on saying it. Quote the word of God. Quote it back to the enemy. Quote it back to anybody else. Quote it to yourself when you need encouragement. And believe what God's word says. I've said this verse so many times, I couldn't even begin to guess a number. Psalm 89, 34 that I read earlier. I will not violate my covenant, nor alter one single word that has gone out of my lips. I will stand by my agreement with you, God said. I will stand by the word that I have spoken, and I will never change it. So you can depend on it for now, and you can depend on it for eternity. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So even after Elijah had a great victory on Mount Carmel, called down the fire on the sacrifice, people fell on their face and cried out, The Lord is God. The Lord is God. And Elijah got up and told Ahab to get, get moving because there was a sound of abundance of rain. But after that, after all of that happened, Jezebel said, Send this word to Elijah. Now that I've heard he's killed those 800, there were 400 and then 450 more. He's killed those 850 prophets of Baal. She said, I will see to it that what has happened to them will happen to him ten times over. He'll be dead in 24 hours. And Elijah took off to find a place to hide. He went and hid under a tree. I don't know what kind of a hiding place that could be to get under a tree. You say, they won't, the devil won't find me here. It didn't sound like a very good place. But he already knew that he didn't have to do that because before that time, when Elijah first said that the water's not going to fall until I say the word, he had to go into hiding because Ahab, very shortly, King Ahab, the evil king of Israel at that time, wanted to kill him, find a way to make him say it's going to rain again. But he couldn't find him because God told him to go over there by the brook Kirith, stay there in hiding, and I'll tell you when to leave. He stayed there until God told him to leave. And in all of that, almost three and a half years in that time, he did not have an encounter with Ahab or any of his Ahab's followers because God was hiding him and protecting him. He was safe. And now he gets a word from the queen, Jezebel, I'm going to kill you just like you killed the prophets of Baal, but even worse. And he runs and gets into hiding. But God put him in a good place he couldn't be found. He went and found a place that he could easily be found. You can't outplan God. You can't outwork God. The only way you can live for God and live in victory is to live by faith. Trust God for what he says and do what God has said he'll do. Boy, I'm preaching good. I, 
Elijah, God came to him. Like, I have time to tell you the whole story, but God came to him and said, what are you doing under this juniper tree? And he said, I'm the only one left. All the, I killed the prophets of Baal, and all the servants of God are dead. They're gone. All of them have given up and forsaken you. Now, this is after all the hosts of Israel said, we're going to proclaim that the Lord is God. He was over there hiding and feeling sorry for himself and feeling miserable, depressed. Nobody loved him. Believe I'll eat some words. You know what that means? Nobody loved him. Believe I'll eat some words. Why don't you do something that's, that, that's going to help instead of something that's going to make it worse? That's an old, old saying. You probably don't even remember that. So anyway, he found he found uh, he found Elijah there, and Elijah said, I'm the only one left. And God said, Elijah, you don't know it. I've got, I've got 15,000 people. 7,000 haven't got the need, but 15,000 knees, tongues, that still proclaim my glory and still believe in me. And you're over here saying you're the only one left. Get up and do something that's right. So God did, God did have compassion on him. But he also rebuked him for what he was doing when he should have been doing what he did in the first place, follow what God told him to do and keep himself in. And I'm saying to you, that's what we should do. We learn the ways that God's going to take care of us and protect us and bless us, and we should stay right there in that place where God's favor is being poured upon us. Never get into the place of being of self-pity before the Lord, because God is not a part of that. God will lift you up. I know that sometimes you're struggling with something. I want to be compassionate, and I want to be genuine right now as I say it. I know that some of you struggle with things. I, when I preached on freedom, I became well aware from comments I heard from people that I know there are a lot of people that are struggling with things. I understand that. And I do not say anything lightly when I say that your struggles can be overcome by the grace of God and the power of God. I know that's true because I've seen it happen so many times with so many people. And I know God doesn't pick out people to do that for and other people that he's not going to do it for. God will give you a deliverance from whatever it is that has you in bondage in your life because he's promised us freedom. Jesus said, whom the Son sets free is free indeed, totally, completely free. And that's what I was trying to preach then. That's what I preach now. That's what I preach all the time. That whatever it is that's a struggle in your life that has you in bondage, is something that God doesn't want you to keep. He doesn't want you to be kept in bondage by anything that destroys your peace, that destroys the harmony of your life, that interferes with the relationships that you have with those you love. He doesn't want you in that kind of bondage. I know there are a lot of things that Sunday morning when I preached on freedom that I didn't mention. I just didn't think I had to mention all of them, but I had some people come to me and say, well, you didn't say anything. You said a thing about drinking. You said things about Okay, but you didn't say anything about marijuana. Well, I, I'm against that too. <laughs> they named a couple of other things you didn't say a word about. You didn't say anything about pornography. Somebody mentioned that to me. Well, no, I didn't. I didn't try to make a list of everything that I could think of or that you could possibly. I'm just trying to give you the word that whatever it is, all of those things. Now, I better clarify. I better clarify. I know that there's such a thing as medicinal marijuana. I'm not talking about that. I may have an opinion on it, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the gateway drug that, that leads you into other drugs. When I talk about pornography, I, I don't have to explain to you what that is. I don't think of it. If I do it, I'm not going to anyway. 
us in a lot of things that, that have a hold on us, a lot of things that have us in bondage. I, I know that. I didn't think I was giving, being exhaustive. But in fact, I didn't even plan to think, say the things I did say. So, but that was then, and this is now. So let me get, let me catch up on where I am right now. I just am telling you that this is the promise of God. And if God makes you a promise that He will set you free, He will set you free. Now the bondage may continue to pull at you, but when you've been set free and you continue to feel that struggle, that pull, you've got something stronger than the pull of that habit, the pull of that bondage, the pull of that chain that has been around you, that the devil wants to put around you again. You've got something stronger than that. You've got God's word, God's promise, and your faith in him that will take you all the way through to complete victory. If I say everybody who believes that, I'm not saying it, but if I did say everybody who believes that, stand up. Would everybody here be standing up? Do you know that's true in your life? Do you know that's a fact for you and not just for other people? It isn't just somebody, somebody else that wrote a book about it and it happened to them. God wrote a book. And the book that God wrote says it'll happen to anybody who puts their faith in Him and puts trust in Him. Hallelujah. Glory to God. God is the healer. He's the victor. He's the winning program. We get on His side and get on His team and we're winners. Glory to God. Glory to God. We'll be as good in the kingdom as the women's soccer team is in playing soccer. I want to tell you something about that. that about, the, about the soccer team. Because I want to talk, I, I, I want to illustrate this by saying when you make a commitment, when you stand up for commitment to Jesus, it's going to make a difference in your life. I remember once when I was just graduating from high school, I had an offer to go and play a part in what was then the outstanding outdoor drama of the nation, the Lost Colony in Manteo, North Carolina. I had that offer because I was very active in dramas and plays and presentations as Brian uh, James mentioned that the other day. His mama had told him about it. <laughs> she was in the same high school I was in. And, and because my director in high school was the director of the Lost Colony, which is a highly professional organization, and it's put on every summer. I think it's still going on, isn't it? Still having them lost. i got to go see that one more time. I saw my bucket list. Like, one more time, i got to go see the Lost Colony. I saw, I've seen it many, many times, but not in a number of years. So I got this invitation from my director to go and play a speaking role, which is unusual for somebody just getting started. It was a prominent role, and uh, it would have been a good thing if somebody wanted to go into show business. And I was very interested in that kind of thing at that time. But I also knew, you know, I grew up, let me, let me say, <laughs> some of, I don't want to get so far afield, nobody knows what I'm talking about. But I grew up in a real holiness environment when I was a young Christian. I, 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 gave, I gave up so many things. I like the brother that told me one time he, got, he started out in the fire baptized church, which you don't know anything about, but it was a really strict, outward kind of a believing crowd. And he told me one time, he's a very, he's a very uh, meticulous dresser. He wore beautiful suits. And he was a very successful businessman. He's much older than I was. I was a young man, he said to me, and I noticed he always had a beautiful shirt, beautiful tie, well-dressed. And I was sitting talking to him one afternoon, one Sunday afternoon, and 
he still had on his coat and tie in the Sunday afternoon. And he said, you know, he said one thing, he was telling me about his history and his life. He said, you know, one thing, I started out in the fire-baptized church. He said, they, they stopped me from wearing rings. They, they, they didn't want me to wear bright colors. And, and, and I, 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 you know, he said, I, I made a promise to God that I'd never take medicine. And I promised him I'd never drive anything but a Ford. And he said, I, I almost... I almost lost everything. He, and he took these things a beautiful time. He said, I got out just before they got my necktie. <laughs> and there were a lot of men in those days that went around that did not wear a tie. They buttoned up their white shirt, no tie, because they had given it up. It was unnecessary worldly adornment. It is unnecessary. But I don't think it's very much worldly adornment. But <laughs> so anyway, uh, now none of this was planned on what I was going to say. Therefore, I'm about to lose my train of thought. Let me come back to it real quickly here. So if we make promises sometimes that are not necessary for us to keep. I made a lot of promises to God out of ignorance. Ignorance, total ignorance. I was ignorant because I believed what people told me who were also ignorant. When they told me I shouldn't do something, I believed it. So I gave up a lot of things. And I'm not saying that harmed me. It didn't necessarily harm me. But to really live in true freedom in Christ, you know, to live in true freedom in Christ, your freedom is not based in the, in, in, in the things you wear. It's not based in the jewelry that you may have on. There's a lot of things that are outward that it may be all right if you don't do them, but it may not be necessary. I grew up believing all those things were necessary. But then when God really got hold of my life, more and more and more and more, the deeper I got with him, the more I saw the reality of what that, that sanctification, that holy life really is. And I came to understand it, and I realized that I didn't have to give up those things. I didn't have to not wear rings, and I don't have any on, and I've got some that I don't wear, but that's just because of my own level of comfort, not in being seen with them, I mean in feeling them on my hands. I do this little... Now, you think this is foolish that I'm talking about. I'm telling you that people were led years ago to, to make promises about things like this. And I would not have, those years ago, I would not have worn this 18-karat gold bracelet for anything. If it had been given to me, I would have felt like putting it in the offering plate. felt like what God wanted. The devil was tempting me to wear it. But as I, as I grow, and as you grow in Christ, just so I don't feel like I'm really a stranger up here. How many of you know a little bit about what I'm talking about when I say these kind of things? Some of you remember, oh, okay, well, I'm not as alone as I thought I was. <laughs> I can say a little bit more about that. I won't. But I, you know, we've, I'm saying that we've said things and done things and promised things that God is not expecting us to live by today. God brought me out of all of that a long time ago. I've got beautiful rings that I could wear. I don't fail to wear them because I think they're worldly. And because I think they detract from my service to God, I don't wear them because they just bother my fingers now these days. I don't even wear a watch anymore because i got a phone. I can look at it and know what time it is. So that's why I don't, I've got three watches at home. I don't bother to put them on, but it's not because they're worth There was a time when I had a beautiful watch and God wanted me to give it up, I thought, but I didn't know any better. So I will tell you now, what I'm trying to get you is this. There are things that are, that are frivolous that God really doesn't care that much about. But when it comes down to important things, that God has spoken to you about, that you're supposed to be a person of prayer. You're supposed to find time for God's Word. 
You're supposed to find time for personal fellowship and developing a relationship with Him. You're supposed to find time and take the effort to speak to other people about Jesus Christ and His salvation. That's what God wants you to be standing on, believing and doing. And then when you do that, you're keeping God's Word in your life. God will help you as you fulfill every promise that you've made to Him. And even if it's beyond something that's ordinary, He'll give you the strength and the ability to do it, and to do it in Jesus' name and in His power, and accomplish what He wants you to accomplish with that. Hallelujah. Praise God. So now let me just close. I jumped off around a little bit and said a little bit more than I planned to, but I do want to say this to you. I'm closing up to let you know when I say this, it'll be all right. Jesus made this promise, a great promise He made. He promised us, He promised us heaven. And he promised that He would come again. He promised us eternity. You know, you know that promise. He said, if I go away, I will come again, receive you unto myself. He promised that several times, numerous times. He's promised throughout the epistles. He's coming again. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel, the trumpet of God, and then in Christ shall rise first. That's what Paul wrote. So he's coming again because he's promised it. He promised it again and again and again, but he hasn't come. There are folks walking around saying, well, where is the promise of his coming? That's what the Bible says. Where's the promise that it's coming? We've preached this a long time, but he hasn't come yet. Why should we keep preaching that? Because time doesn't change the promise of God. It isn't his time. When his time comes, when that time comes, and it may be momentarily, he's going to come back again and rapture his church. We're going to be caught up together with him in the clouds, and so shall we ever be with the Lord, is what the Bible says. That promise is going to be fulfilled. Now, here's one way I know it's going to be fulfilled. Because Jesus also made another promise before he went away. He said, if I go away, I will send the Comforter to you. And he talked about the Holy Spirit. He said, I will send him to teach you. He will teach you all things that I've said. Bring them to your remembrance. Help you understand them. The Holy Spirit will come into your life. And I am going to send him to replace me in your life for teaching, instruction, edification and blessing. He promised to send the Holy Spirit. And on the day of Pentecost, that's exactly what he did. He sent the Holy Spirit who came. And those people in the upper room were filled with the Spirit, overflowing with the evidence of speaking in unknown languages and unknown tongues, to declare that there's something supernatural that has happened here, that God has fulfilled the promise, fulfilled the promise from the Old Testament, from Joel, the prophecy of the Old Testament, fulfilled the promise of the words that Jesus spoke, kept his word, and in keeping that word, he says he'll keep every promise that he's made. So I say to you, if you know the Holy Spirit is in your life, the more you recognize the power.